Hi, my name is Megan from Sydney visiting Canberra. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal or financial product advice. Hey everybody, my name's Emma. I'm a proud Rudgery woman from Leeton, New South Wales and I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we're all meeting today, the lands of the Ngunnawal and the Ngambri people. I'd like to take a moment to pay my respects to the Elders past, present and emerging and pay my respects to any and all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in the room here today. Awesome. Give the ladies a hand. Thanks, Emma. Hello, camera. Welcome to My Millennial Money. We're recording live in the nation's capital. If you're listening to this episode from the United States of America, we're not in Sydney, we're in Canberra. We're in the capital, the nation's capital. We're full of public servants. Everyone's got a job here from the government and it's a great place to be. Before we start tonight, I want to thank Hannah, Mark and the team at the Royal Australian Mint for hosting us. We'll be spreading some minty facts throughout the episode. And this place, it's a great place to see if you're ever in Canberra. It's the only place in Australia where they mint national coins. It's a great place for school trips, grandparents to bring kids, parents to bring kids, and also people like me, freaks who collect coins. (laughs) So thank you to Hannah and Mark, the team at the Royal Australian Mint. We also can't do this podcast without our show partner, Tao. At Tao, they understand that assessing claims quickly and fairly is the most important thing they do. Their support during claim time goes beyond the claim itself. In fact, the claims and health teams take a personalised approach to recovery, making sure they understand the customer's situation and support they need. They work with the customer's treating teams, carers or employers to make things easier and connect customers to support services that reflect their health needs and return to work goals where this is an option. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or to get your protection sorted over your life. No, not that protection, but this protection. Head to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and I would love to introduce you to a quality financial advisor to help with your insurance needs. All right, back to the live show. And before we get into the live recording, we can't do this episode without our national tour partners, BPay and ING. We'll be sharing more about BPay and ING later in the episode. Johnson, you ready to have a chat? Let's do this. All right. Okay, the first minty fact of the night, John, before we get started here, His Royal Highness Prince Philip opened the Royal Australian Mint on the 22nd of February, 1965. Wow. How old was Philip then? I don't know, but it was about your birthday, was it? (laughs) (laughs) He's up. There we go. So that was our first minty facts. We've got minty gifts to give out when I read a minty fact, and we'll be doing that. We've got some minties, we've got some cool mints and some other random stuff. All right, first question from Taz. What have you got here, Taz? So I really can't get my head around today's money, in quotations, versus future money. I understand how to do compound interest calculations, but how can I work out what the worth will be? Awesome. That's such a great question. Give her a hand, everyone. Yeah. And also at the end of the night, the Royal Australian Mint are giving a coin worth over $100 to the best question. Wow. So, Taz, some minty gifts. There you go. 
Okay, that's a great question. Now, I went on the Money Smart website today and had a look at the compound interest calculator. Has anyone ever used the compound interest calculator? Really cool, right? We put $100 in a month and it will tell you if that $100 each month breeds money and compounds what it will be worth after a certain amount of time. Now, the problem with projections is they suck because on a computer, we can model stuff, but you can't model stuff like a crash. You can't model stuff that you get sick and you need to withdraw your money or stop investing, but they're a really good guide just to kind of give you the course. Has anyone seen online where you might have your favorite influencers or money account and they say, if you invest $20 a day for the next 30 years, you'll have $8 million by the time you're 60. Has anyone seen stuff like that? And it's like, wow. The problem is, and even the Money Smart website, if you look in the small print, it basically says their calculator sucks. <laughs> and I know I'm standing in a government building and I'm bagging a government website, but it's a good start. Does anyone know the two things with compound interest calculators that are not factored into them? Hang on, don't, don't shout out. Two things. I can think of one of them, inflation. Second one? Um, I guess life factors or things that might occur in life, which you don't sort of factor in. Yeah, that's, that's also good. Uh, but the second one is tax. So I went to the trusty calculator and I put, I had an initial capital of $10,000 and I'm investing $1,000 per month at 8.5% for 20 years. At the end of that time, if we kept that, it would be $680,000 430 of that would be just free money, interest, right? $250,000 of that is what you actually saved. So that's pretty cool. But the problem is it doesn't factor in inflation. And we know we're all living in this inflationary vibe at the moment where $10 today isn't worth the same as $10 at the end of last year. Like it's just not. So one way I like to see these type of calculators, if the RBA want to target inflation at around 2 to 3%, for example, you might say, we'll call it 3% inflation. So what I can do, instead of saying, I'm going to put 8.5% as the return of my investment, I might just put 5.5%. So I've just discounted inflation. And it's just a really good way for you to get an idea of what the real return might be. Because in the money world, you might see portfolios and they target a real return of 5.5% after inflation. So that's one thing. So if I put in 5.5%, $1,000 a month for 20 years, it's not 680000 it's 465000 so that's a big shock, isn't it? And this is just really loose bush maths, right? So instead of $1,000 a month, again, we don't know, like projections, they're really good until they're not. If, for example, I loosely factored in a bit of tax just from the actual capital investment, because your tax year on year might be different. You might've sold a property, you might've earned more, earned less, if I put $700 in the calculator at 
factoring in for inflation, it's only $335,000. So when you see people online say, just invest $20 a day for the next 50 years and you get $5 million, there's a very high chance that they haven't taken into account inflation and tax. So now that Taryn's got that calculation sorted, yes, uh, the real dollars, she can then play around with A, how much she initially invests, B, how much she puts in per month, um, C, what rate of return she thinks is realistic, and then D, the time frame in which that's going to work for her. Yeah. And so for me personally, when I'm doing these type of things with my own financial projections, I'm ultra conservative because does anyone know the exact amount of money you need to retire on? Anyone know here? It's ever changing. changing. I've said it before, you need as much as possible. So the whole thing is to win the retirement savings, you've got to win the year. Invest more money each year. To win the year, you've got to win the month. To win the month, you've got to win the weeks. So we just have to know that if I did want to, if I was saving real dollars of $1,000 a month into my account, I might only just be conservative and put $800 or $700 in the calculator and take a few percent off the actual return to factor in inflation. Is that perfect? Heck no, it's not. But it's just a little bit better to set realistic expectations if you are doing financial projections. How cool is compound interest? It's very cool. Mm. Uh, A minty fact, one and two cent coins were melted down and made into the bronze medals for the 2000 Olympic Games. That's cool, isn't it? Everyone give the Olympians a hand. Commonwealth Games start next week. Did you know that? What's that? Commonwealth Games, they start next week. Where at? Overseas. (laughs) Um, Did that give you any clarity, Taz? Yeah. So we just, we, when I was a financial advisor, like the, the software lets you be ultra cool with like projections over the next 20 years. But really, it just means nothing. You just need to live on less than you earn, invest the rest, set realistic expectations and have a good margin of error. Say, all right, if I can live off $500,000 when I retire in, you know, today's dollars, if I get there and it's 800, awesome, that's a bonus. So it's realistic expectations. Uh, There's a question here. From Errol, where's Errol? I'll get you to read it, Errol, and I might get John to answer it. Well, maybe just to give a bit of a backstory, um, I've had the privilege of investing in the last six years into property. So I've rode the, the property wave where it's increased a lot up to 2018 and slowed down. So I got to buy a couple more and rode the wave of the last couple of years. Um, now there's about five, probably sitting at 50% LVR, the goal is to be able to get to 10, hopefully in the next five years. But um, now that, without sounding wanky, I've made a bit of money, at what LVR is it best to keep a property portfolio for long-term growth without just taking unnecessary risks to be able to make money? Ooh. Well done, Errol. Um, first of all, uh, well done on your journey so far. You've ridden the wave, as you said. So you own five properties at the moment? Cool. So you've got another five to go? And the LVR is at 50. Yep. Okay. So I don't, I don't want to squash your dreams of 10 properties, but one thing I'm always thinking about is not necessarily the number of properties, but the quality of properties. 
So just make sure that we've got that. And by the sounds of it, you've you've um, chosen that pretty well so far. And a lot of clients that I work with, when there's when there's equity there, we want to extract that equity and use it up to eighty percent. Well, the banks will allow us to do that without paying lenders' mortgage insurance. Okay, so there's two time or two things we need to factor in: can we lend money, and have we got the mindset to go and invest? So if there's equity there in the portfolio, why can't we bring one of those properties back up to eighty percent now and go and use that? Yeah. So your question of well, how high do you need to have it? Well, how high do you need? How high can you have it to get you the result you need? Because the one thing that's going to or does stop a lot of investors from continuing is their servicing because the banks are continually critiquing the portfolio and the debt and not applying 100% of the rent of each property. Therefore, with each property, the servicing reduces unless your income increases. Yep. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Well, hang on. We're doing a podcast. (laughs) That's right. Well, I realised over the last six years the rent is starting to creep up now. Yes. Before it used to kind of manage itself. Now it completely manages itself. P&I or interest only? P&I. Okay, P&I. awesome. So I'm getting comfortable at the fact that I have to do nothing and it just looks after itself. Yeah. That's why I've, like, if I go to 80% now, then I'm going to be out of pocket again every single month. Okay, so you need to understand what numbers is, are, are going to be comfortable for you. And if you want your portfolio to continue at P&I, you've got to then push the equity back up to what you're comfortable with and no more, or you convert one to interest only, for example, and then go because that probably saves you about eight to ten grand a year that you don't have to pay back on that particular property, but the debt won't be decreasing. Can I make a unsolicited comment? Sure. I think you've... You've had a, a really good climate to buy five properties over the last however many years. You've had interest rates being rock bottom and the property market doing really well. In the session before, we talked about investing and you know the better we do with investments, the better we think we are. And I think by in your situation, my encouragement would be do your property investing like you bake your baked potatoes, low and slow. Um, Because over the next five years maybe, it's going to be a completely different climate. Interest rates are going through the roof. Lending may tighten. And I think you're in a healthy position because, uh, you know, the RBA, like they've come out just last week. And if anyone's been following this stuff, they actually made a bit of a woozy with the, um, the cash rate. They left it too long to raise and now they're saying it will be doubled over the next six months. Was it six months or something? We might fact check that. I might put a link in the show note to the AFR article. Either way, it's going to be at 3.5% within the year. So winter is coming. So I think just be so conservative because you see all these property moguls. It's the ultimate thing where greed and all that stuff it will lead you down this thing and you'll have all this. Like who – I'm ranting, but go with me. 
every time I read these like articles online, it's like, oh, I bought 500 properties in 10 minutes and this is how I did it. And I've got $18 million worth of properties. Like, okay, but how much debt are you carrying? Like, how much are you living on the line? How much is your life at the whim of a decision that's out of your control? Mm. And I think a 50% LVR, what if so? And because that to me sounds like half you're conservative, half you've been, you know, you've rolled the right dice with equity, with property prices increasing, right? So I would just encourage you to be conservative. Don't be greedy. Money's not your problem. You've got lots of money. Like just if someone owns five properties with five lots of income coming in, money's not your problem. You just got to make sure the ego doesn't get in the way. And it's maybe not Errol because, you know, someone in Darwin or Perth might be listening to this. Yeah, I was just going to say, going back to that, that 10 properties, like why is it that figure? And I just, I just think- Oh, hang on, we're recording a podcast. <laughs> yeah, go, Nath. I just think, say in the next 10, 20 years, if each property brings about 400 bucks a week after all expenses and you've got 10 of them, that's four grand. So that's $200,000 roughly for the year. That should be enough to live comfortably on. Okay, so I'm going to challenge you on that. What if you kept the five and continued to pay them down and, and I gave you 800 each from those five properties? Is that the same? Maybe the quality of the properties, I'm thinking the ones that I have might not give that. Okay, so that's where we need to go deeper with a clarity call. <laughs> because I don't when know... When are you available? Yeah, I don't know what your spread is, what type of properties they are, what locations they're in, what yields they're bringing in, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, Glenn's right in terms of um, winters there for a little bit, right? Um, but don't, don't let that scare you off. If you know your numbers, you can factor in... Uh, those situations going forward. Thank you. He's got some minty treats, some spearmint. Thank you. We're at the mint. We're giving away minty treats. That's only because of your breath because I was close to that <laughs> Joking. It's a joke. Uh, but I would encourage you, like, you're doing very well. Just make sure you, you're generous. So, Errol, how old are you, may I ask? Um, 32. You're 32, five properties, you're a hard worker. On your name tag, one of the icebreaker stickers that I don't think anyone uses, but whatever, uh, it's got mindset. You're interested in mindset. Over the last 10 years of you being a property investor, when it comes to mindset, what's one thing that stood out to you that might help somebody? Um, Like what really got me into investing was a client that I met just as a backstory, I work around mortgage brokers and financial planners. And one of the clients that we met was an elderly lady, like 60s of age, and she had been investing for the last 20 years. Her and her husband had never earned anything above $55,000 ever. And they had, I think, about 14 properties together, something about $6 bucks worth, maybe $2 million worth of um, mortgages on there and when I spoke to her all she said was that even if you earn 50 grand and you can put away five thousand dollars then go and buy something that you can use that five thousand dollars with I think what a lot of people were doing around me at that age when I was investing like 25 24 was that they want to buy that five hundred thousand dollar house as an investment property so they might need fifty thousand dollars and they were discounting themselves because they only had 20 grand but there are plenty of properties around Australia that you can buy with a $20,000 deposit that would still appreciate because it's in a good location and there's demand for it. 
Um, what's happening with me now, that's why I put mindset there, is that I think when you start doing some stuff, you think, is it luck or have I actually done the right thing because I've listened to people or I've hung around the right people to choose the right things? So I don't want to get carried away thinking I'm good at anything, but that's why I'm here. Like, I actually came up from Melbourne to here to listen to you guys because I was going to be away overseas um, wow. next month where you are well in Melbourne. Um, that's why mindset states that I don't think I know anything. Um, I'm here to learn from everybody that's around me and whatever you guys got to say yeah. as well. Yeah. No, but well done. Like you, you could have your chest out and bulletproof with five properties and, and I'm a property genius, but your mindset says, well, I want to continue to learn so I don't bugger this thing up. So well done. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Okay, we'll have a break. We're back right after this. I really want to thank ING and BPAY for getting behind our national tour. We honestly could not do it without them. Now, if you refinance your home loan with ING, you could save a heap. Search ING Home Loans. T's and C's apply. ING Bank Australia Limited. Credit license 229823. To stay in control of your bill payments, use BPAY. With BPAY, you can pay your bills from the security of your online banking, choose which account to pay the bills, and even schedule payments for a time that suits you better. Say, after payday, scheduled payments are subject to systems and funds availability. BPAY, see the PDS for further information. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Okay, we're back. Now, the next question... We're, we're doing a bit of a community-sponsored question. I'm going to ask James Miller to come up. James is the financial advisor, director, owner of a company called Sufficient Funds. They're a local sponsor here in Canberra. There's many of you who listen who are clients of James. James, there's a question here that came in from Meredith. <laughs> um, is salary sacrificing worth it? Um, basically, as nurses or um, for charities and things, you can salary sacrifice to pay your rent um, and like certain food expenses, um, but you have to pay a fee for that. So should you just save and do it yourself or is it actually worth it for the tax-free money, I guess? Okay, really good question. Thanks, um, Meredith. And we get this a lot. We're, I've got, we've got a lot of nurse clients and uh, some of you might work for not-for-profits, that type of thing, and salary sacrificing is commonly known as putting money into super, but it's like you just said, there's some tax benefits to using it for other expenses if your employer will package it up. So another way to call it, it it's salary packaging. And so they might want to pay you a hundred grand a year. They'll pay you 90 grand salary, for example, and 10 of that is the package part, which is your tax-free expense. And they might say you can and commonly, and a lot of our nurse clients are, it, it'll go to rent or it goes to the mortgage. Uh, and, but it might be, you might hit a certain limit there. And then you have a card that you can use for meals or other expenses, entertainment. That 10 grand is tax free. And so instead of the 100 grand coming through the pay, you paying 30 cents or a bit more in tax, 
and then it landing in the bank account at less, that 10 grand comes in tax-free and you can go and spend the whole 10 grand so you don't get taxed on that bit. And so your decision, Meredith, is is that tax saving of about three or four grand, if it was 10 as the example, more than whatever that weekly fee is going to be? And if it is, rock and roll. And the weekly fee is usually just an administration fee for the meal or entertainment cards. I think it's, it's a no-brainer. Almost hundred percent yeah, it will be less. The fee is going to be less than the saving of tax and is worth doing. The key is you have to use the 10, which is pretty easy if you chuck it on rent or the mortgage or something like that. They'll take most of it. And they allow that with some government jobs and non-profits uh, because they realize that one, they need to uh, I don't know, attract people in to the role and to some non-for-profits um, have lower wages than the private sector or the government sector. There's not too many government jobs though here tonight, is it? We're, we're, on a giving, we're on a giving spree at the moment, aren't we, Glenn? We are. We're talking about gifting, we give- donating, not-for-profit. It's all yeah. under that same kind of guise. They get, yeah. You get looked after yeah. and that's the reason. Yeah, cool. So um, thanks for that, Meredith. Give her a hand, everyone. Um, Good one, James. Some peppermint snacks for you, peppermint. Um, And just a minty fact, the dollar sign is believed to have originated from the old Spanish eight real coins, the coins known to the pirates as pieces of eight. The reverse of these coins feature a pillar of Hercules with a ribbon wrapped around it, looking very much like the dollar symbol we now know so well. So look at that. All right, next up, I might get invite Trent up onto the stage. Trent is a financial advisor with Sky Wealth, and Trent looks after a lot of, and Sky Wealth looks after a lot of clients all around Australia. Here's just a quick one for you. It won't take you more than 10 seconds. Uh, it's an anonymous question. Thanks for being anonymous out there. I got a left wrist exclusion on my income protection and TPD cover. Will it always be there? And why didn't they exclude my death and trauma cover? And yeah, can it be reviewed ever? Awesome question. We'll answer the second half of it. Um, in terms of the life and the trauma, why isn't your wrist excluded on the life and trauma policy is because you'll never claim for a wrist injury if you pass away. I've never heard anyone passing away from their wrist. Um, and I'll wrist, try it. <laughs> wrist injuries aren't a traumatic event. So thinking traumatic events, you're thinking cancers, heart attacks, stroke, things like that. Yeah. First part of the question was... Will this always be there? And can I review it? So when the exclusion is put on your policy, uh, the insurance company can and will offer you a review period, usually for risks, if you're looking maybe three or five years, no treatment, no symptoms. Um, For other things like cancer, you may not get a review period. Um, So you've got to be proactive with um, your insurer um, or potentially looking at other insurance companies as they may look at it a different way. So this is interesting because a lot of us have default income insurance in our super funds, right? And if you go to the super fund and go to increase that default income insurance and you've just had wrist surgery like I've had, little scar there, um, those policies aren't equipped to issue a cover with an exclusion. But if I went to you guys, you could issue cover but with the wrist exclusion. 
Yeah, so you sort of know what you're covered for at the time of application rather than your super fund that you may be paying for your insurance premiums for 10, 15 years' time. Glenn goes and hurts himself skiing with James tomorrow. Um, he goes back to try and claim his super fund insurance and they say, bad luck, you've had that before you took out our insurances, we're not paying you out. Yeah, so there you have it. Trent, thanks for the question. Uh, give him a hand, everyone. <laughs> All right. Anyone want any ask anything? Yeah. Sorry, Sam? Sure, I can be Sam. Um, it's Ben. Ben. I get Ben and Sam confused. That's my brother. But, um, oh, that's why. I know your brother, uh, actually. Uh, of course. Of no, course. I don't. <laughs> He's in Brisbane. Oh, um, yeah. Actually. Um, so... Let me know if this is a bit too uh, just broad stroked, but it's uh, it's for a friend. Um, she recently came about about half a million um, from an unfortunate passing of their family. Um, she sold the family house that was by her mother and she's trying to focus on finishing university at the moment, but she has this half a mil, has no idea what to do with it. Um, her general goal is to... Um, you know, live life with her friends and kind of just enjoy being around people. Is there any advice you could offer or, or what could she do? Property. <laughs> <laughs> what, are, what does she want? What are her goals? Like, what, she, you've, you've mentioned a little bit about it, but like, is she How old is for she? her own home? She's 24. Um, she wants to have time to take care of her father and to spend time with friends, work on her uni life. Um, she's getting a lot of opinions from people saying she should just keep the money in the bank. Um, she's not so sure about property at this point, but um, she knows she needs to focus on what she's doing at the moment. Um, yeah. yeah, well, I think education and knowledge is, is probably the first part and not to rush into it. Like sitting in the bank for six months of her life is, is okay, even though she's got friends telling her that it's doing nothing. She knows that. So she needs to f probably work out what uh, not not to rush into it and to understand that she has got choices, um, but not to put all her eggs in one basket. Like, where does she want to live? Does she want to travel? Like, she's she, she getting married anytime soon? Like, if she doesn't know where she's going to live, then she probably doesn't want to buy a, a family home, for example. Um, what's her What's her taste? Like we ask people, uh, are you property or are you shares? Like have you got an interest in one or the other and, and clue yourself up for the next six months in one of those areas? Speak to a financial planner. She could probably really do with a session from sufficient funds, uh, James and Cara, like James mentioned it here earlier. She needs a, she needs a really have a third-party sounding board who is for her without any agenda and how long has she had the money? I think about a year. Okay, a year. Okay, that's good because at least now the, the coolness has come off. She's obviously not a spender because if I got that, I'd have some cool stuff. Um, so she sounds like she's conservative. She's well measured. I'm probably thinking given that she hasn't spent it all, it's been a year, maybe it does need to sit in cash for another year and then also it, it really doesn't matter and then she can put that towards a home that she wants to live in. Like everyone's like, oh, property is so expensive everywhere. Not if you got a $500,000 down payment. <laughs> so, it, and the thing is, if she does put it into property to live in, she'll never lose that capital. But likewise, if she invests it into a portfolio, she'll never lose that capital. So there's no real wrong thing that she can do as long as she doesn't 
lose it. Lo- well, she doesn't like find some guys like, oh, I can guarantee you 18% returns a year and like it, it's just wild stuff. She'll end up as a case study on a, a true crime podcast. So Yeah, but I, I think what um, – I don't know her income but understand what she's saving each month. I, I wouldn't encourage her to put the whole amount down on, on a property. Even if she wanted a 600K property – um, she could put down a 20% and avoid the LMI, that sort of stuff, but then keep the rest for a rainy day and, yeah. Yeah, and I'd probably carve out a three-month emergency fund out of that, take that as granted. And so, for example, we received $500,000. She hasn't touched it for a year. She is actually really self-controlled and if she needs a new car, this is Glennie saying, who's never met this person and freaking her out, it's okay to go down to Kia, buy a $20,000 car with a seven or 10 year warranty. It's the best car for someone like her. Because if she's got an older car, she doesn't heaps care, like she's not a car person. Like if I got 500 grand, I'm like, all right, so what Lexus dealership are we going to today? <laughs> um, and that's not her. So getting a good quality new car, reliable, good warranty, because you're allowed to enjoy inheritance. Uh, so yeah, thanks for that, Ben. And we're getting the oh, we're getting the wrap up signal. So we've got the next question. We'll keep it anonymous. Um, but um, yeah, that's your question there. It's just a really cool question. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, um, your tips or views um, for first generation millennial um, immigrants um, who still helps their families back home, but already settled in building a life here in Australia. Yeah. Um, that's so awesome. And, you know, for me being, you know, from the Central Coast, I'll never understand to the level that you do about your culture and looking after your parents and whatnot. So this is a question I want to address because there's a lot of people who listen to the podcast. And as we know, the latest census was like 50% of Australians are not born here. Was that the stat? Something like that? Sounds good. Whatever. Sounds great. So... You want to build your own life here in Australia. That's awesome. You've got, whether it's a cultural code, a, a moral thing I want to do, or like some weird code like Dexter. Did anyone watch the new Dexter series? Yeah. Uh, it was good, but yeah. Um, so if you've got this code that you want to really kind of do, for me, it actually doesn't matter what it is. So if, if it's me that I really have this thing... As I build wealth in Australia, I always want to be putting money over here to do this hobby because that's a value to me. I really want to be doing this over here because this is a value to me. I would probably say in your life that supporting your family is a value to you, whether it's cultural, whether it's you just want to do it, it, all those reasons are after the fact. I think it is just making the call that this is important to me in my life, that I'll do that. And I don't know if it's expected in every culture. I don't know if it's just something that you do, but it might be a, okay, well, I was an idiot and I need to clean up my own credit card mess and all that here first, then I'll help other people. But it, it, I just think the fact that you're thinking about it, you're intentional, it's important to you. And then it might be asking your parents like, Hey guys, what's important to you? Is it the week on week cash flow to help around the house or medical care? Or would you like just to call on me if something comes up with a bit of notice if you need a new car or a car service or if something comes out and they're living on the line, like I'm happy to be your emergency fund. 
So all that to say, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah. And, and what he's really saying is, is it's got to be a balance that's going to work for you, doesn't it? Like, so if you give 50% back home and keep 50%, great. If it's 70, 30, like I've seen the extremes going one way and the other, like, there's no right or wrong. It's it's what you need. But understand that when the plane's about to crash, you're told to put your own uh, bizzo on first, right? All right, so. we've been told to wrap up. Did you get a minty treat? Yeah. Um, all right, we <laughs> might... <laughs> What's that? Can anyone have a minty treat? Put your hand up if you want a minty treat. Yeah. All right, wait. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. That was cool. What I might do, I'm going to ask Georgina, she's a friend of the Mint. Uh, she's going to choose the best question to give this. Oh, I'm not opening it, whatever. Um, it's worth over $100. It's an Impressions of Australia 2022 Kangaroo Series silver coin. Any best questions? Pressure's on, Georgina. I like, I like that one. That one. Isn't Georgina choosing? Yeah. I mean, I mean my, my favourite question uh, was, was the money back home question. All right. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, well done. There we go. Okay, so thank you everybody for coming out to Canberra. Thank you to our national tool partners, ING and BPay. Thank you to our local event partners here tonight, James Millard from Sufficient Funds, Trent Bacon from Sky Wealth, and of course, Hannah, Mark and the team at the Royal Australian Mint. It's been a great night, a great venue, and we're looking forward to coming to a city near you there's still tickets available mm -hmm. uh, probably not it's heaps sold but there's Melbourne <laughs> uh, but yeah thank you everyone we're going to be hanging around for a while if um, you want to buy a book uh, would love your support and uh, thank you to all the volunteers JP everyone thank you so much see you love soon you We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.